Hello, I'm Joseph Malazzi, creator of Dark Matter, and you are listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello, and welcome to the third in our weekly Legion podcast reviews. I'm your host Craig McKenzie, and the subject of this discussion is the third episode, Chapter 3, where we further explore the mystery that is David's messed up memories. So this week we have a reduced team again, and it's just me and Aaron. Hello, Aaron. Hello. How are you? Oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm actually, I feel quite positive about doing this review, not that I normally don't, but getting quite into my, my Legion, actually. It makes me come back and want to watch it, so... Yeah, it's this is a good three thing, episodes then. in, and it feels like it's been on for three seasons somehow. Well, no, but not that. dragging. No. No. No, but there's just a, a wealth of content in there to, um, to to dissect, I suppose. Well, there is, and it's it's got a mystery in it, which is not a false mystery, I think, of characters just not telling you things. There's a real mystery because the information just isn't available yet, and uh, that sort of show isn't always available i don't think so nice to nice to get one now and again especially not in the superhero genre no no yeah but this this character lends so well to it with his memory issues so yes um i don't think we'll get much value out of staying spoiler free so we'll just go straight into spoiler well character. can i just say that when you're trying to do this and you're taking your notes for this sort of thing don't do what i did which was to listen to the review that we did, well, you guys did for chapter two after watching chapter three, because that just blows your mind in terms of what order is going on. So I regret that. And I've tried to correct that by getting a little check on what's happened on the internet. Um, but we'll see how I go with that. And I do, I do have to say one thing that I'm grateful to Chris last week for mentioning song and dance numbers or rather the lack thereof. It could be a, a a weekly checklist that we do. Aye. Yeah. Okay, so are you ready to descend into a dreamlike spoiler state? Absolutely, carry on. Okay, so now that we can say whatever we want, uh, what were your initial or basic thoughts on the episode as a whole? What did you think of it? How did it flow? Did it drag? Did it work did it not work i i thought well i thought it worked i thought it had a strong theme of his memories this week which is which is only an extension of last week but there is still more to say i don't know how much longer they can actually pursue not telling us things but certainly during a second week of going into his head and trying to figure out what was going on was not unwelcome and the mystery element was still giving me new things to think about. So I think in terms of speed and and relevance, I'm still on board, and I think it's still going in the right direction. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I liked the episode. Um, I really like that they're spending a lot of time delving into his memories because it's just such a, a rich storytelling uh, 
vehicle, I suppose, or, you know, it's an entire world within itself. And, um, you know, we only seem to be fixating on certain events in his life, but there's so much to them. And I like that David's really unreliable as narrators go. So you don't know if the memories are true and they seem to change as as different factors are brought up. Like when his sister's um, involved, the memory changes a little bit because we saw them vaping last week. But then you see the kind of other side of that when, um, you know, his sister calls him out on it. Yes. But I think that will have to naturally come to an end at some point, unless they're going to start giving us new memory centers to go back to. There's only so much more they're going to be able to reveal about these, these the ones they've already given us. So I wonder how long it can actually go before before we need to either get an action scene going where he's using his abilities or or they have to actually give us some answers in terms of what's going on and who the various creatures and people are in the memories. Yeah, it'll be it'll start to be like um Barry Allen's front room in in the flash, you know, with all the time travel shenanigans how there was a small football team's worth of people in the room at the, the, the same time. They're all the same people, but, you know. Uh, so it could be like that if you're just pouring over the same memories over and over again. They might, yeah, run naturally run out of things to say about them. But they can't also give us too many answers too quickly, so I don't know how long it's going to... I don't know how far that can go. Um, but then, as I say, I don't feel like they've pushed it too far yet. So I trust them. Absolutely trust them at this stage. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really enjoying how, how they're doing it as well because it, it does give us different insights into David's character. I quite like the whole um, he was just a junkie angle. You know, as far as he was concerned, he was kind of this, he was so uh, self-destructive and just didn't really care. And and Lenny brings out that side in him as well, especially, you know, the when his sister brings the cake and she, she just savages it, even though it's, you know, presented quite nicely. Yes. Yeah, they are... It's interesting, actually, that they seem to be keeping his image of Lenny in his head similar to the Lenny that we have. Because we can't, I think you said last week, you can't get any more character development of Lenny because she doesn't exist. It is him. He's acknowledged that himself. Yeah. Because the Lenny character says, I am you, idiot, you know. So it's going to be tricky, actually, to see what Lenny's going to bring into this, uh, given that she can't develop. Yeah, I think she represents a a really, it's like as I said, self destructive side to him. You know, and when he's kind of with her, he's shutting out the rest of the world and just kind of descending into chaos. And I, I guess that's why it keeps coming back to that that memory of them vaping out of a frog or whatever animal it is, um, because right. that is. Yeah, because that's... Was it, it was a little frog thing, yeah. yeah. But do you see that as well? I mean, people, we've been talking about when is this set? And to me, that's another thing. that it, That's just so 60s or 70s, isn't it? That kind of... Yeah. I, I, I sound so middle class when I say their <laughs> drug delivery system, but I don't know what else to call it in, in general. You know, that's, that is just the way... That is just one of the ways it was done back then, you know. Yeah, but it's also really unique... Uh, everything about the show looks pretty unique. You know, it has its own design and its own style, and they have been pretty, um, pretty cagey with what time period to set it in because the clothes look modern enough in some cases, but the the technology just looks weird. Well, I'm still happy that it's it's 70s. The whole thing is 70s, but 
we've got the mad science of the people who are on the fringe of society or the government who've got access to these resources that the general world hasn't. So I'm happy to just say it's 70s, but with that extra spin to it. Yeah. It'll maybe be revealed at some point, but I suppose it doesn't really matter. I mean, especially if the show exists in its own world. It doesn't, doesn't really matter when or where it's set. It's just, I'm just content with, okay, in this uh, in this world, MRI machines are controlled by typewriters. Yeah. And other things like that. Um, in terms of the memories as, as they were explored, I mean, we seem to be focused on a couple of events. Uh, in particular, is that kitchen, the kitchen destruction that he does, because the aim of this episode is to find the trigger for his powers. So it seems like intense emotion is one of his triggers, and to find out what triggers that, triggers his triggers, in effect. Um, and I find it quite interesting because it's, well, obviously it's a really good special effects piece, you know, of everything just flying out of everywhere and breaking. And uh, But it, it does say a lot about his state of mind as well. It was good that they made it clear that he doesn't remember that. Or it's possible, of course, he was just lying and said that he didn't remember it. But I, I like to have that in some way put on screen and he re- he says what i don't know why we're here what's going on this isn't important we just had a fight we have lots of fights me and my girlfriend and then when the kitchen explodes he says ah yeah that one <laughs> yeah although that does raise that question what because he goes oh yeah that one it obviously wasn't too traumatic a memory because he was prepared to just go oh yeah to it so i don't now know was he lying and trying to cover it up or did he just not remember it? Because that could actually be lead to two completely different stories. Yeah, and it suggests there were multiple episodes as well. You know, if he just, well, if he just flippantly dismisses that particular one. Yes. So it, perhaps in his head there were other scenes where various rooms and things exploded, and he didn't think that was anything special in his past. But clearly. It is, though, because we are focusing on it. But, yeah, it, that all could be rather subjective. Yeah. He's also spent the last few years being convinced that it never happened as well. You know, um, he's been told that he doesn't have powers, he can't read minds, he's just mental. Yes. Um, so I guess pushing aside that memory is, is maybe a hold back from that. He just kind of uh, still tries to dismiss it, even though he's been told that his memories are real uh, and he actually has these powers. Yeah, because he is still, I think, in certain situations, quite rational and in control. I don't. He's never presented as somebody who has totally lost it, which is, of course, he can't because then mm. he would just devastate everybody around him at all times. But he's he's clearly capable of rationalising some parts of this already, even as he is, even having been in the in Clockworks. Yeah, and he um, he remembers. Um, or he's aware of the fact that uh, these memories are triggering external forces as well. You know, he's get he gets asked to please don't break anything this time, and he can't promise that because he's yes. he's kind of not in control of how these memories are projected out. But they get around that by awakening his inner child by sedating him later on, which is interesting in itself because you've got this this young innocent David running around these tumultuous memories. I think there's an extension to that as well that I've started to notice. It's probably already been there. 
you know that scene where he's talking to Sid by the river? Mm. The, the 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 attitude and the dress and the relationship that they both have is all very teenage. And I think I noticed it originally when they had Sid with a ponytail and a ribbon in her hair. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's a bit young for you, maybe. Not that she's old, not saying the character's old. But, you know, it's very childlike, that, with a ribbon in her hair. And the relationship is the official classic form is innocence, where they, it can't be physical in any way. And even, But even their jokes, even when they're talking to each other, the things they say, the fact that they look sheepish and embarrassed by their own relationship it's very young teen it that that possibly is one of the themes they've got for the whole uh, the whole this half of the episode where he's that's uh, an episode of the series where he's not in control of his powers yeah and he's been quite sheltered from human interaction for quite a, a long time i mean we see that he had a kind of full life before he was committed but um Part of his treatments probably made him regress a little bit, so he's kind of having to learn human interaction all over again. And then Sid is a mutant who's been isolated from society for, well, we don't know how long. Um, she's She's got that kind of childlike quality as well, you know, where she has to kind of go through all the relationship building as a teenager would. It does freak me out slightly, though. Not in the way that I can't get round, but it's you get used to watching American TV, and I think there's something in their legal framework that might very well be in ours as as, as well, where if you want to do a, a large schedule of shooting, then you have to spread it out with a really young character or you have to employ somebody who is over 18 anyway and get them yeah. to play a teenager because they legally only they can run a, you know a full day's work as an actor so yeah. you're already used to seeing 20 year olds playing teenagers and when you think about it it kind of makes you twitch a bit because you think oh that's not right they're too old and it's all a bit creepy but then when you see these characters and i don't know how old um oh, what's the name of the guy who plays of David, I can't remember already. Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens. I, I, I need to look up how old he is because when he suddenly tries to act like a teenager, uh, born in 1982, so he's 30 something. Yeah, when a 30 something yeah. uh, is a teenager, it, it, it really does f- turn that dial up even higher for me. Yeah. But I get over it. You know, it's clearly a character thing. He's not supposed to be a teenager, but. No, he's, he's clearly someone who's. You know, at least in his mid to late twenties. Um, well, I mean, they don't identify ages at all. But yeah, he's an adult. But that, that's what makes the that's what makes his childish outlook a bit more um, a bit more significant because you wouldn't expect it coming from him. Even though you know we've seen how he's he's been landed in the asylum and and he's had his world turned upside down. So there's, I think, there's definitely an element of relearning how to interact with people. Yeah, it works fair enough. It gets that point across. Absolutely. So I didn't, I don't have a problem with it, but I did really notice it for both of them. I mean, yeah, it was the way Sid sort of uh, paced up uh, in a very kind of sheepish manner. And, um, and then they just started talking about, I guess, taboo subjects or what yes. could have been taboo subjects. But I really like that scene because we don't get, certainly in the films, we don't get much insight into what it feels like to have these powers. 
So, you know, by using the body switching um, as an example, they got to Dan, I keep saying Dan, David got the opportunity to live as a woman for the first time, which obviously he'd never experienced. And then he was talking about what that feels like from a male perspective. Yes. And the embarrassment thereof that probably would be felt by anybody of any age, but still somehow his response to what he did and did not do still felt very much like a teenager's experience. Yeah, he was like, oh, I promise I'm not a creep. Yeah, I promise yes. I'm not a creep, but there was, I had to go to the toilet and, you know, it's very difficult to do that without certain yes. things happening. And Sid is obviously much more experienced with her powers, so she talks about being a Chinese man and all that kind of stuff. So there's that contrast and um, it's quite familiar to her, but completely new to him. And I get the impression that he might want to experience it again because he found it interesting. It could be. I don't think I quite picked up on that, but I can imagine any teenager with a crazy experience presented to them wouldn't say no yeah. if it was so safe. So. Yeah, and I think it's just uh, interesting to explore these things because we'll never know what it's like to have these powers, probably. So um, you can essentially make it up. You can almost relate it to human experience. So for... Um, so for David, I suppose it's living out a, a juvenile fantasy by experiencing what it's like to be a woman for a day or however long it was. I don't think they'll go too far down that based on what we said so far. I think that will just be a cute joke. Yeah. Because as it stands with what they've done, it does have that innocence to it that makes us react positively to it. But if they really make a big deal out of it at some point, crossing the line is going to become too easy yeah i wonder what else they could do with sid's powers at this point though i mean they've already done the you know the body switching and the consequences of it uh, you know just by them talking about it so maybe if a threat gets built up over the season she'll become one of the the bad guys you know in inverted commas it's tricky really because they can't use the power or rather i can't see a reason why they would use the power in a tactical sense and for the most part i think they are going to be in these tactical situations you know there's a fight there's somebody coming there's somebody listening i can see how um they could body switch and pretend to be the bad guy to sneak into a base or something maybe yeah but other than that, yeah, I'm not sure how she actively uses the power. It certainly wouldn't be something she uses all the time. No. Not like the other two who who rescued him, where one of them is, is well, one of Tonomy is using his, his, his powers right now in the peaceful points. Yeah. And the other girl, I think Carrie is her name, although I don't know if it's actually been said on screen, but I think Carrie is her name. It, I'm assuming she's the one who turns people to fiery messes. She can actively be in the fight. Yeah, and there's... I mean, they could use it as an interrogation thing as well. You know, it could be used in both ways. So she infiltrates whatever their facility is, and at the same time they can strap her down and talk to the the guy that she's switched with. But that's like a one-shot thing. That's like they do that that once in the season. They won't just do that every episode. No, No, you couldn't make a TV series out of that, I don't think. No. I mean, well, it would essentially be Quantum Leap, wouldn't it? But, yes, it would. <laughs> um, 
But it'll be interesting to see how they do that. It depends if they go down a more conventional action route, which I think they will maybe for the last episode or the episode before the last one or something like that, because these mutant powers are kind of there to be used for fun reasons and for actiony reasons, you know, as they often are. But I've, I quite like that we've had three episodes of just uh, playing around with them on a different, a different playing field than we they were used to. Absolutely. In X Men First Class is probably the the biggest visual example of people dealing with their powers that we've had because you had Xavier explaining to people how their powers work and and it helps them get in touch with them. And the same kind of thing is happening here. But they're doing it very differently. And much slower, of course. Yeah, I do wonder how much of a crossover there's going to be, actually, with the with the traditional X-Men that we know. Because I'm starting to find similarities as we move through it. It's almost alt-verse, where it's the yeah. same but different. You know, there is a house that's got all this technology in it. There are all these mutants hiding from society. And noticeable this week, I assume it was in other weeks, but... The little rest discussion room they were in clearly had the X symbol as one of the windows. Yeah. And you feel like it's it's just teetering around saying, yeah, we pretty much are the X-Men mansion, but yeah. just slightly different. There's X imagery hidden, hidden around the place in other parts of it as well. Right. Some of it's more subtle than others, but that window is the most overt one. Yes. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's connected to the films in any way. No, no, but it, it it feels like they are going to push the connection to the source material. Yeah, possibly a bit harder. Oh no, maybe not. Maybe maybe it will just sit as teasers all the time and it will never manifest. But it's it's so close. It feels like there has to be something there. Yeah, well, it was like last week. I kept uh, hoping that Patrick Stewart would turn up at some point. Well. Um, See, on that now, have we now got enough information to say that that is not possible? Because I'm trying to go through in my head all the people that would be obviously uh, Charles Xavier Mm. and Melanie Bird's husband. I don't know if he's dead or not. I got the impression from the internet that he was dead, but I don't know that I got that from the actual show itself. I didn't know if he was just missing or not. Did you get get that? She thinks he's she definitely thinks he's dead. Right. Um, but that presents doubt. Yeah, but his personality's in the in the coffee machine. But that could just be, yeah, downloaded. Yeah. Uh, com- that could just be a computer program to, to mimic him. Yeah, she so I guess it is coffee possible. machine on him, yeah. Um, and then did David's father get named this week or possibly last week? And this is where doing chapter two and chapter three as one splurge has really gone against me, but I could have sworn one of those two characters was named as Alexander. But now I feel like my memory is as bad as David's is, and I'm totally making that up. I didn't quite catch that. I mean, I know his his father was depicted in the previous episode as reading him some pretty messed up bedtime stories. Um, And he's only in shadow, isn't he? At that point. Yeah. Um, so I guess we don't know. I, f- I feel like I feel like I'm at the moment. I'm leaning towards neither of them are Xavier. Yeah, but I guess I don't have the proof to say one way or the other. And Patrick Stewart said this week that he's done with playing that character as a oh, Logan. They'd, so they'd never use him though, would they? In this because he'd have to turn up as a seventy-year-old and try and look forty. 
it, I don't think the it, first thing. <laughs> well, I suppose I mean people are pushing with with the latest Star Wars film. They're pushing the uh, they're pushing the uh, character creation imagery. Can't think of the word um, CGI characters to mm. quite a new level. So they could just use his voice, I guess, and then um, yeah. Also, guess, surely a TV show can't afford that. Um, it all depends. It depends how long the scene is, I suppose. Uh, but you've got the uh, the fact that Patrick Stewart hasn't really aged much since he started doing Star Trek: The Next Generation, at least not visibly. So, you know, if he, if they brought him in and just were a bit aloof about his age, then I think it would work. See, I think he has. I think. I mean, no offense to the guy. I very much doubt he'll listen to this, but no offense to the guy. But <laughs> I think he does look older than he did back then. I think he. I don't know if that's what they've done with the films though maybe they specifically tried to make him look older but there's a few scenes definitely olden him olden him up but he he does look in in the the the, some of the previous films he's looked quite he's looked significantly weaker than he did he's looked like he he might have needed to sit down that little bit more often i mean when the poor guy is 70 years old he's not just going to be running around willy-nilly now but i definitely don't think he looks as as strong as he did when he was Picard. Yeah, I, th- I think, uh, especially with the conceit of this show and how messed up it is in terms of timelines and memories and so on, if they had him show up in a flashback that he looks like he does now, it's not necessarily going to be out of place. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's like some of the other things you mentioned already there and said the same of it. It's not needed and it's, and it, it doesn't matter. I think yeah. linking it back to Xavier is not something that is going to add any more than a a nerd exciting moment yeah. to this. Well, they might surprise us and get James McAvoy to turn up. Uh, yeah, I think, and the age on that might work a, a bit better actually as well. But. Yeah, but I don't think it's going to happen. I don't know what they'll do about his father. It will definitely be revealed at some point. Yeah, there'll be something significant about his father because going back to the memories that seems to be everything is sort of hinging on his upbringing isn't it i mean you've got it this does. whole you've got this whole grotesque figure that chases him through his memories and attacks him let's know. talk about these two figures then because i want to present my theory here so you've got the angriest boy in the world has, yeah. is now actually a character in his memories in the halloween scene and chasing him through his memories in the house and you've got the demon character that was always been there but sort of sits there in the background i like to call so, him just the blob because he looks kind of like the, the x-men character the blob fair enough he shall <laughs> now be referred to as the blob so <laughs> at the moment i'm liking the angriest boy in the world as either david when he's angry or a representation of his out of control powers that did something bad in his past and i'm liking the blob as david's opposite as his good side that is trying to do the right thing with his powers where the ugliness of the character represents him not understanding them and not being able to think of them as human because he's been told they're bad so if his powers are bad why wouldn't they come across as looking ugly yeah and it's it's definitely something he's running from because that's something that, that happens every time. It shows up and he runs in the opposite direction. 
And I so, think that could be that he's just running from his misunderstanding of his powers. I, I really don't think that blob character is is going to do anything to harm him. And I actually believe that I don't think the blob character has purposely done anything to harm anyone, arguably yet. Yeah. And I want to bring that up with the Melanie Bird being caught in the mansion that bit. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if she, her hand being slammed in the book by the demon character, the sorry, the blob character, was actually the blob, a childlike blob, trying to make her not read the nasty book. And mm-hmm. how could it do it? It uses its telekinetic powers to slam the book on her hand. So she will translate that as the blob tried to hurt me. Whereas yeah. the blob just going, don't read that book. Put that book away right now. Do you know what happens when you read that book? That's bad. Slam, you know. Yeah. So I'm, at the moment, I'm going for the blob is David's the good side of his powers. But as all good villains are misunderstood. Hmm. Could be. I, I didn't really have a theory about it. I just thought it was—it was definitely something he was repressing, and I was happy to find out later on. But no, that's a good—it's a good analysis, worthy of analysis, I suppose. It's—it's <laughs> it's worthy of not being dismissed right now until yeah. next episode <laughs> when something horrible happens and it gets an axe out and starts carving out people, yeah. and then then I'll change my mind. And I think um, there's certainly an element of uh, Melanie Bird and the other characters underestimating David in some ways. They seem to think that they can happily parade through his memories with no consequences, but he's taking control reluctantly or not. But it's at the point where um, certain people can't wake up anymore and have no control. They're just kind of stuck in this house of horrors that he's created inside his head. Ptolemy has has discovered frequently now that when David is upset, Ptolemy's powers don't work. David can override them. Whether he has or has not himself got memory powers doesn't matter. It's, this is Mindscape. And by the way, I always win in Mindscape. (laughs) Yeah, so it's, and I think a big part of the next episode will be them stuck in his, um, whatever his brain can concoct for them. They'd have to go back in for that though. I wonder if they are going to want to risk that. I suppose they might. Yeah. They could say, we have to do this. You know, To get the answers, we must go back in once and for all. So, yeah, they could do that. Yeah. And it's interesting how Sid is allowed to leave. Yeah, she's getting a bit of a free pass, and she's obviously connected well enough with him that he, some part of him can trust her to see more of his inner self. You know, yeah. He's prepared to trust her enough to see the blob, to trust her enough to see the darker side of his his emotions with the angriest boy. Um, yeah. That, that fits nicely in with their relationship. That works work, yeah, works very well. And I love the attention to detail with, the, you know, the way she just behaves. You know, when she's trying to wake everybody up, she hits the side of the chair just to make sure that she doesn't touch them and things like that. It's, you know, little touches like that that make her powers more believable, actually, without showing her powers. It is, actually, although I did wonder why she didn't pick up the cushion and start twatting them, because that seemed <laughs> to make much more sense. Just, just prod them with the cushion, that would yeah. have worked. But yeah, I get the point. As it was, it was emphasised nicely that she, she really couldn't touch anybody, even in a desperate situation. Yeah. Or she could, I suppose, touch them on the shoulder where that's covered by a t-shirt or something. And she wasn't even prepared to do that, because she said yeah. even if she gets close to people, it starts to hurt. But still, yeah. um, a half-metre-long black-and-white 
chair cushion would have been fine for just you know prodding people in the face yeah it might have been unnecessarily hilarious if she just started beating people with pillows i suppose so yeah <laughs> i totally yeah. would have done that though if i'd have been her yeah but yes yeah, so there's there's definitely a growing connection between sid and david that's it is getting stronger as they're you know they're building this relationship but it's interesting how it's um it's becoming defined by their emotional connection rather than a physical one because they can't feasibly have a physical connection and it's good that they're being able to use that in the plot because it would have been a bit disappointing if it would have been this thing on the side that was just true oh but now we have to get to the real plot and that's nothing to do with it yeah that that would have been a big shame yeah and it's nice that they've been able to get round a problem that could have presented itself with teen drama which was the you've misunderstood what I meant. I'm going off to sulk because there's what, there's this one point where I wonder if they were going to do that. When David says to Dr. Bird, my sister is all I care about. And in a rubbish drama, Sid would have, would have stormed off going, he doesn't care about me anymore. I'm leaving. And she doesn't, she looks at him and says, I understand you a bit more now, or at least that's what I read in her face. She wasn't upset by that comment. Mm -hmm. I think they're dodging the trope of uh, bad sitcom relationship drama. Yeah. Yeah, the, it is essentially a character study, and their relationship's a big part of that character study. So, right. you know, it's good that they're treating it well, and it's, it feels like it's developing organically, and then the whole the whole head trip stuff is really... It, it's letting her find out a lot about him, but without him finding out a lot about her. Although she does seem quite open about her past, if she if he asks. Well, she probably has been through the memory machine, so it's not like he couldn't learn this from just chatting around anybody. You know, I think yeah. there seems to be this commitment that if you're going to come into this house, sorry, the memory machine is what you have to do. So logically, they've all agreed to share some of their past to everybody because you probably couldn't live in that environment without doing so. Yeah. It's the whole idea of trust. You know, everybody in there needs to trust each other, and uh, yeah. David's still not there yet with most of them. Aye. Um, which I guess brings on naturally to the whole summer hall thing. I mean, we don't know much about the. Is it an organisation? I suppose it is. Um, we don't know much about that as a as an entity. We know they want to they want David to control his powers for some reason, but they, we still don't really know what they want from him. Well, I think Dr. Bird was pretty honest this week when she was challenged by Sid. Sid goes, do you just want to use David, you know, like a soldier? And and Dr. Bird says, "I no, I don't. I think everybody should live happy, healthy and free here. And then she goes into this bit of despair. And I, I actually really appreciated. I've looked up the name of the actress, actually, because I like this bit when she did it. Jean Smart. She actually drops from that moment of resign nature saying what the truth is into this despair saying and then i want to use him it's this it it the whole thing speaks of survival yeah. the the mansion was created because they needed a place for these these mutants to hide while they learned who they were but now it's become a war and it is we really just wanted to have a nice place where you could just grow up be who you were and not have to fear unfortunately the war has come to us 
and David is a way of making this stop. And I appreciated yeah. that their motive, therefore, wasn't, I am raising an army. It was, dear God, how are we going to survive this? David looks like our only hope. Yeah, I mentioned last week she has a bit of the um, the whole, she has a bit of the Xavier outlook on things and a bit of the Magneto outlook on things. You know, the whole recognising that it's a war, or at least thinking it's a war, is is very Magneto, you know, preparing yeah. to fight the enemy. Whereas Xavier was more about uh, compassion and equality. So it's, both those sides are represented, and I think uh, Melanie Bird could go either way at this point. And I'm still waiting for the episode where the legitimate government show up and tell David that you know she's bad news and gives her some re- gives him some reasons for that. Well, the eye is clearly going to have to have his story. They they mentioned him in there as this rogue student that's obviously turned against the two original creators of the house, and he's the one I think we don't have the motive for at the moment because the head of Section Three has said we need to control these people because their power out of control is bad for everybody so that's that statement yeah and and melanie bird is coming in at the survival angle but but the eye is clearly happily been in both camps so why did he change that's 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 the big open he's the one with the biggest motive we don't understand yet yeah and he barely caused him to move away yeah yeah Yeah, i'd like it if he wasn't just evil i know he's a i've decided that I hate my powers, therefore I must persecute all people who have powers. And it, it, I don't want it to be that simple. Yeah, one thing the, the X-Men franchise has always done quite well that arguably not even the Marvel films have done is presenting both sides of a different... Presenting the villain as not being a villain as such. So you could watch certainly the first two X-Men films and agree with Magneto just as much as you'd agree with Xavier because they both make really good points. And I think the the eye could have the potential to be like that as well. You know, he he's talking about the same thing, but he has a different approach to it. And his approach is valid because he's experienced all this persecution while being outside of these the safe four walls, so to speak. Yeah, that might require him to do a little more talking than he's been doing so far, though. Yeah, well, there's still what five episodes. Yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, at least we won't have any filler, or we shouldn't have any filler. No, dear God, I hope not with eight, only eight episodes. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, you don't need to watch episodes four and five because nothing happens. But you know, six, seven and eight, it picks up again. To be fair, I think the whole thing has shown so far that it's got clever things in it. And I'd like to think that if they've got clever writing, plotting and directing and, and so on, then they'll avoid that trap. There's a couple of things I'm just going to give mention to actually that... I'm really pleased that in a show where training the main character is one of the central themes, we have not yet seen a montage. <laughs> Apart from the uh, his growing up montage in the first episode. Oh, do we see a montage? Oh, I'm disappointed. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, he um, yeah, it takes him through his birth to present day in about two Oh, minutes. the opening. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. damn it. I'm upset now. <laughs> I think montages can be fairly effective. It depends how they're done. But I think um no, I think in this it needs to be a lot slower. They can't show you know, you can't have a montage of him uh coming to terms with a memory. I just no. I don't think it would work. But if he was you know if he was struggling to lift things, then you could easily have a montage of him learning how to lift things. Yeah, but they're always dull. 
You never want to see it. You, you never want to see, I believe, a training montage where the character is supposed to have changed in some way from the beginning to the end of this 30 second or dear God, two minute you know, <laughs> piece of music. Uh, it's just so disappointing. You might as well just skip to the end and have a character say, I'm glad you've con- treated, uh, you've completed your training, David. Now you've got infinite power. You, know, you <laughs> just get it over with in five seconds and have it done. Yeah. If you can't think of a decent way of, of progressing through it. So they've not done a training montage. I'll say that. Mm. Well, speaking uh, yeah. as a fan of the Rocky movies, I quite like a training montage now and again. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I also think going back to X-Men first class, I think that had a really good training montage where everyone was learning how to do stuff. I'll have to go and watch that again then, because I don't have a good memory of a good training montage. So maybe I'll have to watch Rocky. I don't think I've never really seen Rocky, so yeah, it was it it defined the training montage. Did it right? Yeah. All right. In that case, I could hold that up as the bar that everybody else has to get to, maybe. Yeah, but the first class one is is really good as well. It has, but it has a lot of people learning at the same time, so. You know, it keeps cutting to different people doing different things, and, and the only way to show them developing is over a period of however long it takes is, you know, the montage because there's just so many characters and they need to be battle ready by the end of the film. Well, I wonder if there was if there isn't always a clever way of doing everything though, because the other thing I was going to give mention to was they want to do a show where they make a, a large use of flashbacks, and whenever you're trying to do anything, use any of the tropes. It's always noticeable, I think, when it is a trope and when they've somehow hidden it so it feels like it's purposeful. I think that's there's lots of shows where you notice something and you want to make sure you don't notice it. So yeah. here they've got it where there is a reason we're seeing flashbacks. It's because of the memory machine. And we use the memory machine. We don't just use it on David, we use it on everybody that comes in. So it feels like they've found a way of doing flashbacks where it doesn't stick out as a as a pure plot device and, and i appreciate that anytime somebody tries to to work in a trope in such a way yeah well they're interactive flashbacks aren't they i mean he can he could walk up to people in those flashbacks and ask them questions another time one other times he is actually just in the memory watching it's been that way in some of the previous episodes yeah but i think there's always been a reason why he is currently reviewing that memory that doesn't seem to be just and cut so you the audience can see information that you need because sometimes yeah. it cuts to things that don't even necessarily explain something yeah well he's warned in the last episode to not interact with the memory because then he'll change the memory yes. i mean he won't change what happened but he'll change how he remembers what happened Right. So um, I'm fairly sure that rule is going to be broken. I mean, it kind of has already, I suppose, but it will be broken at some point in a big way, because otherwise they wouldn't mention it. You know, it's the the Chekhov's gun um, trope. Well, not not trope. The Chekhov's gun literary device. If there's a gun mentioned somewhere, it will go off at some point yes. in that story. Yeah. Um, well, pretty much his entire memory of his youth around the angry boy has just been torn apart by this last episode hasn't it in fact all the episodes have just had the little boy running through them yeah uh, and that must bend the memory somehow so i think they've already started to blend quite a few of them yeah yeah there's lots of places it can go i can't even think of what might happen this week um 
Well, you might have hit on it already with the uh, they they decide they have to go back in one more time to get some real answers because yeah. Sid's now going to come out and say, right, there was this guy with a big, big papier-mâché head that's trying to kill us, and and then Melanie Bird has, has now found there's a dark force in there. Whether she saw the the demon, the blob character or not, I don't know. But other other characters can now come out and start talking about this. So presumably they have to take that information and and try and make sense of it in a way that David can't. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's two days from now, as in time of recording, not in time of uploading. <laughs> um, it's probably one day from now if, yeah. Do you have any theories on what they're going to do with the angriest boy in the world situation and and the, the supposed or hinted death of the mother? I think him... I suppose it's possible that he accidentally killed his mother. I was I was wondering that as a as a as a base idea, and they they could go down that route. I it's a bit obvious though. Well, I wondered how that fits with the father telling him a story, and I wondered if that was him, if that was a blended. Dad always does story time with Dad telling him not to be the angriest boy in the world. So I think clearly he's, he's got to have gotten really angry, and. Maybe he killed the dog, or you know, maybe he killed a, uh, somebody else's pet, and then he got. At, at the very least, Dad is saying to him, "Don't get as angry as you did with that dog as you did when your mother's around, because mm. obviously this could happen." So they're trying to grim fairy tale him out of doing something. Mm. Of course, the other possibility is simply that, as you say, he did get angry with his mother, and 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 his dad never able to forgive him for that but you know the reason why i've not thought that second route is possible is because his sister still loves him so much yeah and i find it difficult to believe that his his sister would so easily get over the death of a mother whereas she would take pity on him if he accidentally killed the the family dog yeah she'd be upset but that doesn't guarantee that she would turn on him so at the moment i'm thinking he clearly had an episode, but it's more like that the dad's trying to warn the child off from doing it in a family environment. Yeah, which kind of suggests that he's um, the father has experienced mutant powers of his own. Um, Could be. Yeah. There's some kind of expert in them. I made a comparison last week to the remake of The Tomorrow People that was on the CW a few years ago, how the show, in terms of its structure, is quite similar. Um, you've got the kind of the the breakout, so to speak, who's just learning about their powers and gets taken into this secret society that live on live on the edge because they don't know when they're going to get found out or if they're going to get found out and things like that. So the and the kind of fatherly connection is also similar because um, in the Tomorrow People, the main character is trying to live up to an absentee father who's kind of a, a chosen one for the, all these people, so to speak. Right. Um, it's an interesting comparison to make. I mean, the shows are. Other than that, nothing I like. All right. Um, I don't. I've not seen it. I, yeah, I'd comment, but yeah, I'm afraid I've not it was seen good. that. I was. A, I was a fan. Back in All the right. Day. Fair yeah. play. It ends on a cliffhanger, which is always annoying. But. Yes. But yeah, I think um, unless you have anything burning, I think we've exhausted this episode in terms of the, at least the main stuff. I got a couple of things I might just yeah. chuck out there, and they can be questions to 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 the to the floor, if not actual points. Seeing as this theme, this show definitely has 
um, hidden things for us to encounter because you, you've seen a lot more of the X-Men. Um, I don't want to call them Easter eggs, but little hints in in the background. Is there any? Is, I wonder if there's going to be anything to do with the story where he says, uh, "Snicker snack." Part of the story is that you know they read out "Angriest Boy in the World." Snicker snack yeah. is what causes the the death of the mother, and that is blatantly lifted, I assume, from Alice in Wonderland because the Jabberwocky kills with the Snicker snack. Mm. And I don't know if I've seen any other. Alice in Wonderland connections yet other than it's a mad place here which is the obvious Alice in Wonderland connection yeah Um, but I think that's something I want to look out for I don't know if you've seen anything that would yes or no to that Um, the the Alice in Wonderland connections quite interesting I didn't pick up on it because I wasn't really I'm not really familiar enough with the story to pick up on the snickersnack thing but you know the whole yeah the the surrealness is very kind of Lewis Carroll isn't it yeah so that inspiration is there. In terms of comic book connections, there's always kind of fairy tale comic book connections here and there. So, you know, they can kind of kind of links in. I think I certainly haven't picked up on many X Men references other than X's all over the shop and the fact that there's mutants and right. you know and little hints here and there of war and and prejudice and all that stuff. But it seems like they're playing it all pretty close to the chest. They're not just winking at the audience every five minutes. No, fair enough. And it, it might be that that is not a purposeful connection, but I feel like because I'm looking to answer mysteries, I am looking for questions now as well as answers. So I could easily be pulling something, read, trying to read something in there that is, is not supposed to be there. Or it's maybe um, just there and it's not meant to be dealt with as well. Possibly, yeah. which is, which is something that my, my second one of the two was the, the story that, um, Melanie Bird's husband as the coffee machine tells her which seems to be so connected to the plot how could it not be some form of easter egg I mean I did it wasn't my I didn't notice this it was on the internet that I read it that it it's the husband and the reason she gets she gets coffee and then throws it away and then gets more coffee and throws it away just because she wants to hear the comforting voice of her husband I thought fair enough it could just be that but when you listen to the story a story all about the crane. The whole that whole story to me seems to be a metaphor for do not push David too far. Don't look at what he really is. Don't get that answer when he is doing something. You just let him do it, and you know don't try and do all this memory work and figure out all the exact details. And I thought I could have just read that wrong. I might have misunderstood the story, but to me it seems so clearly th- the crane in some ways comparable to David, I feel like that must go somewhere. Yeah, well, if you look at the way that television and storytelling is structured, there should be no wasted time, so there shouldn't be any random events. You know, everything should tell you something about the character, tell you something about the story. So it could just be the, as you said, the character basis. You know, she likes to hear her husband's voice, but what he says or what the voice says is quite deliberate. It's not just random recordings of I don't know, reading shopping lists or something like that. Um, I wonder if it yeah, was supposed to be a memory of him then, that, of something that this is this is some story that he used to tell, and she is coming back to it as like a lesson. Right? I need to I need to go back and and get inspired by that message again in yeah. some way. Yeah. Or rem- remember my husband's wisdom, you, you know, because he's not here anymore, and I feel the need to hear that. 
Yeah, it could be. Um, I don't know if it will come back or not. I think the well, the coffee machine will probably be a thing, but it stood out as me to me because I really love the whole the way it dispenses cups and and you know gives gives a story as it's filling them. It's just yes. it's it's very kind of I don't know. It's, I don't want to say steampunk because it's not, but it's there's something kind of retro futuristic about it. It's almost like how the Jetsons would picture a, a coffee machine. Yes. Um, which I quite like. I just quite like the design aesthetic. You know, it's not some, often something I'll pick out, or because a lot of these things are just set in the present day. So there's people using see-through iPads or something like that. But yeah. you know, here this the, the technology has a character of its own in some ways. And, and it's fair enough. It could just be, as you said, that's all it was. But I think I'm, I'm going to keep my eye out for those two things and see if I see any more of them in the in the future episodes. It's possible after we're done with episode eight that everything will suddenly take on this whole new life when you know how it's going to end and then you rewatch these things and then and it all you can see how it all leads towards the final events. Aye. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, could be. Yeah. I mean the the none of it is really making sense at this point, at least not to me, but it's certainly on the first three episodes, but they're still they're still in the development path. So the first season are the build up, second season second half of the season's a payoff, I suppose. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, well, absolutely. They're still raising all the questions that we yeah. and the characters themselves need to ask. Yeah. We'll slowly now move into answers as well. Yeah. So roll on this week and see what it, how it pans out. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, anything else or were those your last two points? No, those are my two. I wanted to get them in just because they stood out oh. for me, but that's it. Yeah. Uh, the only last thing for me is... Uh, no dance number this week again. Thank you for mentioning that. I am equally as disappointed as I would have been last week. For one night only. Yes. No more Bollywood. No, apparently not. But yeah, so on that note, we will come out of our dreamlike state and go back to our normal lives. And and we'll revisit this next week. So thank you for joining, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you. That was our discussion on Chapter 3. Thanks to YouTuber 331ERock for the supplied music. As always, if you like what you heard here, then please do subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, or any major podcasting app. We hope that you'll tune in to the next Kneel Before Pod. (laughs) 